Friends, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at First United Methodist Church Kearney. I want to say hello to all my friends at Westside and to everybody who will experience this message online or on our podcast. There's been something I've been really excited about, and I've been just waiting for the day, and it's finally here. Oh, yes. We have a Lord of the Rings reference. Let's go. Here we go. There's a great scene in Fellowship of the Ring where the group of heroes needs to access a mine that's underneath a mountain. And the door is a magical door. The entrance to this mine under this mountain is a magical door that only appears in the light of a full moon. And it has a secret password. And written in Elvish on on the door is the words, speak friend, and enter. And the heroes are confused by this riddle. They don't know what the password is. Until finally somebody says, what's Elvish for friend? And and, and they say the word, I'll spare you my impression, and the doors open. That's what this sermon series, Magic Words, is all about. How would our lives change if we could say the right words? What doors would open in our lives if we would begin changing our language. Today we're going to be looking at two little words that can have a magical effect on our lives. I'm sorry. I have a sister who's three years younger than me. When we were kids, we would always play the game, sorry. Now, I think this game is the worst, (laughs) okay? It says, the game of sweet revenge. It's not the game of sincere apologies, And and I very specifically remember my dad being on the verge of winning in this game, and yet my sister would always still want to stick it to me, and she'd knock my piece off the board, and she'd look at me and say, sorry. Like, you didn't mean that. You're not actually sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm still triggered about it. She wasn't sorry at all. And we use that word flippantly all the time. Like if we bump into somebody in a crowded space, oh, sorry. Or I'll even say it to my kids when I'm like, not disciplining them, but when I'm like refusing a request, like, sorry, sweetie, no cotton candy for dinner. I'll say it to telemarketers or people who show up at my door, sorry, not interested. And so I'll say the word sorry for all sorts of, of dumb things, but I won't say it to the people who matter most in my life. Why do we do this? Why is that? It's like the song says, it's hard for me to tell you I'm sorry. When we say we're sorry, it's hard because I don't know anybody who likes to admit that they were wrong. Or or we may be mad about other stuff that, that isn't exactly relevant to the discussion happening, but we don't want to say sorry because we're still mad about something else. Or a lot of times if if you're really into it with somebody, it's it's like this kind of standoff effect. Right? Like you don't want to be the first person to break. And it's this self-perpetuating conflict. Well, if they're not going to say they're sorry, then I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And it goes on and on. And what happens when we refuse to say we're sorry is that we become estranged. Doors shut instead of swinging open. In our scripture today, we're going to meet somebody who is estranged from their community. 
Zacchaeus was one of the most hated people in town, and then he has an amazing encounter with Jesus. Now, some of us are going to be familiar with the story of Zacchaeus because there was a little song that a lot of us learned when we were kids. So go ahead and humor me and sing along. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree to see what he could see. That's all I remember. So we know Zacchaeus, some of us do, from when we were little kids. Uh, But there's a lot to unpack in this amazing episode from Jesus' life. And so through Zacchaeus, his encounter with Christ will show us that sorry is a great place to start. That's what I hope we'll discover today. Our scripture comes from the book of Luke. This is one of the biographies of Jesus. So we're going to be reading from chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We'll start with verses 1 and 2. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now some of us may remember the infamous name Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. He was a financier on Wall Street and an investment advisor. Mr. Madoff is currently serving time in prison for defrauding people to the tune of billions of dollars. He would pay off old investors with money from his new investors, not actually investing anyone's money properly. It's it's hard to even estimate how much money uh, he he squandered in, in one of the world's biggest Ponzi schemes, they called it. We have a special disdain for people who cheat others out of money, especially their retirements. That's the kind of attitude people would have had towards Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. Although Zacchaeus was a Jew, being a tax collector meant he worked for the Romans. And at the time, in the first century, the Jews were under Roman occupation, which meant that Zacchaeus was working for the oppressors. He was helping keep the boot of the Romans on the neck of the Jews. Doesn't make for a real popular guy. No one in human history has ever liked being taxed. And definitely no one likes being taxed more. But that's what Zacchaeus did. That's how he made his living. If you were a tax collector, you not only collected taxes for your organization, for your government, but your salary was whatever you could kind of pin on top of that. Whatever you could kind of put the pinch on people and get out of them. So Zacchaeus was despised. Tax collectors were some of the most despised people of his time. And when we read that Zacchaeus was wealthy, we know that he was good at it, which made him even more hated. So that's how people kind of see Zacchaeus, one of the most despised people in their community. So let's read on. He, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, the scripture speaks of Zacchaeus being short. That's what the song we sang uh, is about as well. But I can't help but wonder if Zacchaeus not only couldn't get to the front uh, or see because he was short, but maybe he hid in a tree because nobody else wanted him around. Let's keep reading. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So despite the lifestyle that Zacchaeus had chose, Jesus still chose him. 
And it wasn't just one bad choice that Zacchaeus had made to get him into the position of being one of the most hated people around. It was a multitude, it was a lifetime of choices. It was a lifestyle that Zacchaeus had put himself into. That's what made Zacchaeus a crook. And yet Jesus doesn't give him a lecture. He gives him an invitation. And it's a pretty pointed one. Jesus is being very forward. Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house tonight. Well, okay. And whatever Zacchaeus had done before he met Jesus was not a condition for Jesus to love him. That's, That's an amazing part of the story. For Jesus to want to stay with Zacchaeus was a very big deal. I'm guessing Zacchaeus didn't receive a lot of invitations to hang out. And so Jesus staying with Zacchaeus would have been an endorsement that Zacchaeus rarely, if ever, experienced. Jesus chose the most hated guy on the block, the crook, the traitor. And this is why we call what Jesus offers the good news. That no matter where you find yourself, no matter what bad choices you've made, no matter how great your sin, you can come to Jesus wherever you're at. Zacchaeus was in a tree. That's why we call it the good news. But not everybody there was feeling so inspired. We read in verses seven and eight, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So this is the type of stuff that got Jesus crucified. The type of company he chose to keep. In front of everyone, Zacchaeus received Jesus' invitation gladly, immediately calling him Lord. And this shows that that Zacchaeus had a change of heart. He clearly knew the way that he had been living was wrong. He was clearly sorry, but Zacchaeus went further than that. Unsolicited by Jesus, Zacchaeus promises not just to to be sorry, but but to make a change, to give half his possessions to the poor and promises to pay back anything he had stole and then some. Now, would it have been very impressive if Jesus, or excuse me, if Zacchaeus had hopped down from the tree and said to Jesus, oh, you know what, Jesus? I feel really bad. I'm really sorry. No, it wouldn't have been as impressive. Well, sorry doesn't put money in the pockets of all the people you stole from. Zacchaeus' apology wouldn't have changed much, but Zacchaeus went further to demonstrate repentance. To repent means to turn away from sin and go in a new direction. Zacchaeus didn't just feel bad. His change in heart led to a change in action. And and when we have a little bit of context, we can see just how above and beyond Zacchaeus was wanting to go. Jewish law had some stipulations for this situation. There, there There was some precedent for how Zacchaeus could have made this right. We read this in Leviticus 6, 5. Anything else about which you have sworn falsely, you shall repay the principal amount and add one fifth to it. You shall pay its owner when you realize your guilt. So Jewish law would have required Zacchaeus to pay back what he had stolen plus 20%. But Zacchaeus goes far beyond what's required by Jewish law. He pledges to pay back 400%. 
Zacchaeus was demonstrating to Jesus and his community that he wanted a new start, that he wanted to make things right, that he wanted to be forgiven. In the summer before ninth grade, uh, my sister and I had recently gotten digital cable. This was a big deal in 1998. And with all the bazillion channels we got, one of them was the Game Show Network. Now it's different now, but back in my day, they would run the same programming in the morning uh, they would run that again in the afternoon. So like $64,000 Pyramid or The Gong Show or Jeopardy would air twice a day. And I, I noticed this and it was then that I hatched my scheme. So here's what I would do. I would watch the early episode of Jeopardy unbeknownst to my sister and I would get the final Jeopardy question and answer. Then in the afternoon, I would bet my sister part of our allowance that I would know the answer. It was the perfect crime. My sister was impressed with how smart I was. <laughs> I, I pulled this off probably two or three times. And then I was so proud of myself, I couldn't stand it. And so I told my dad. And uh, my, my confession to my dad was really more like bragging rather than confessing. And so of course he made me come clean and he wasn't nearly as impressed with me as I was with me. And uh, pride comes before the fall, friends. So I was busted and I had to uh, pay back my sister the allowance I had robbed her of. And of course, I had to tell her that I was sorry. Sorry is a great place to start. People need to hear us say that. It, it brings down walls. It, it opens doors to possibilities of reconciliation. When people hear us say that we're sorry, there's a lot packed into those two little words an admission that we were wrong, and maybe even a desire to do things differently. Saying I'm sorry is powerful, but whether we're truly sorry is only born out over time. So that's why sorry is a great place to start. If our being sorry leads to repentance. Again, repentance means turning away from our sin and turning towards Jesus. This means that we're sorry and we will have a change of action. Zacchaeus didn't just feel bad about robbing people, about stealing from his community. He repented and paid it back four times over. The way we treat other people, the, 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 the quality of our relationships says something about the quality of our relationship with God. The way we treat other people informs, or it's a mirror, it reflects our relationship with God. They're connected, how we feel about God and how we treat other people. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So Zacchaeus, Bernie Madoff, their crimes, their sins were financial. They can be quantified. But a lot of stuff in life doesn't work like that. So how do we place a value on, on what we've done that, hurt, that has hurt people? You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about what it's like to forgive others. In many ways, this message is about how to help other people forgive you. 
So how do we place a value on hurtful words or, or letting someone down when we weren't there for them? How can we pay someone back that we've slighted that isn't so easily calculated? How can we start with I'm sorry and then back it up with a change in action? A lot of folks have heard of the book, The Five Love Languages. It's by an author named Gary Chapman. It sold millions of copies. It's a brilliant book. I I recommend it very highly. And uh, Gary Chapman has also co-authored a book with Jennifer Thomas, and it's called When Sorry Isn't Enough. And in it, they describe a similar concept of the languages of apology. So here's a simple but life-altering principle. So we first need to say, I'm sorry. Then show the other person that we're sorry based on their needs. So here are a few different ways to recover when we've hurt someone. And as a preacher, I was really excited because they all start with R, right? I'm a sucker for alliteration. And and the first language of apology is remorse. So for some folks to know that you wish you could go back and do things different is important. They need to hear us express remorse. My son has such a sweet, gentle spirit. And, and there's, there's times when we're dealing with discipline that I have to be very mindful of my tone. Be, because I know he feels so bad, I don't need to add a whole lot else. My son feels remorse deeply, and for some, just knowing that can be the beginning of healing. The next language of apology is responsibility. I think most of us have heard a halfway apology. You see these on news conferences or whatever, press conferences all the time. Kind of the halfway deal, right? I'm sorry if my actions hurt anyone. I'm sorry that you feel that way. As if what I did and how you happen to feel just randomly correlate. No, that's a halfway apology. Nobody likes that. It's very easy to shift blame when apologizing. And and, and for many people, it's important that they hear us say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. To claim responsibility. When we do this, when we say, I'm sorry, full stop, No qualifications, we're accepting responsibility for what we did to cause harm or neglected to do something that harmed someone else. So responsibility is another aspect of saying I'm sorry. Another language of apology is restitution. This is what Zacchaeus did. He paid back what was owed. That's what I did in the aftermath of my Jeopardy Ponzi scheme, right? I paid back my sister. Now, in my mind, this is pretty obvious when there's some amount of money or some thing that's, that's been disputed or involved. But other times, f- people feel that some sort of quantifiable gesture helps start the healing process. And that can be true. I do think it's dangerous to offer restitution when it's not what the other person wants. Like sometimes we'll try and make t- restitution or say that we're sorry with like a birthday present or an anniversary gift or a Valentine's gift or something like that. You know, try and make a big deal out of this, this one gift for this one day. But what the other person really wants is our care the other 364 days of the year. So we need to be careful with restitution, but there's lots of times when that's very appropriate to make right uh, the thing that you messed up. 
by offering restitution. Uh, finally, uh, we come to repentance. And this is expressing our desire to change our behavior. Uh, repentance is our intent to never let this happen again. For some people, knowing that our desires for things to be different is a great start. It might even be helpful to make a plan together. The thing is, we can't guarantee in that moment that we'll never disappoint this person again. And so that's when the hard work begins of showing our repentance over time. That's really the only way that it can bear out. And repentance really, to me, is where all the roads of apology lead. When we feel bad, when we accept responsibility, when we do what we can do to make it right, it's ultimately repentance that leads to forgiveness. I love the story of Zacchaeus that, because it's a reminder that new life is possible, that a new start can be a reality. Think back to our scripture, that being sorry can turn to joy. When, when Zacchaeus came down from the tree, he did so gladly. When he was promising to, to pay back people what he had robbed them of, he didn't do it begrudgingly. He was excited. So our, our being sorry can turn to joy. Zacchaeus received Jesus' invitation with joy because he saw a chance at a new life, to be restored to his community. Zacchaeus had been running things his, his way, and look where it had landed him. He was wealthy, he had a lot of stuff, but he was seen as a crook by his community and he was alone in a tree. Zacchaeus was excited to exchange his lonely life for a new definition of success. And I hope that in our relationships, saying that we're sorry can be a great place to start, that these can be magic words that can be the start of real change in our relationships and in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the chance to be together and to be both challenged and encouraged by the reading of your word. We know that uh, the way we treat other people, the, the status of our relationships with others reflects on our relationship with you. So impress upon us uh, maybe some folks that, that we need to say these magic words to, that we can offer up that, that opportunity for doors to open by saying that we're sorry and that that could be the first step, a great start on the path of forgiveness and reconciliation. God, we know that you have forgiven us uh, to, to a great degree and where we have uh, been in error, help us to seek the same forgiveness from the folks we care about. We ask all this in your son's name and of his example, we are so grateful. And everybody said, amen.